If you will take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, we continue our study. Our study of Hebrews has revealed thus far that Christ is better. He's better than angels, Moses, and priests. The author declares a salvation that we can't afford to miss. He provides the only rest that truly satisfies the soul. And he makes a way to be with God that no man could ever offer. Christ is an eternal priest after the order of Melchizedek, a truth that cannot be grasped easily. In fact, it's such a heavy point that the author takes a moment to address the reader's aptitude of understanding that point. And that brings us to our text today. So if you will follow along as I begin reading in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We read, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk as an, is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you have afforded us a privilege that many people around the world struggle to find, but we have ready, easy access to your word. The oracles of God have been provided to us through the Holy Script, and we have the privilege of gathering together regularly to study it, to learn from it, and to hopefully be saved through it. We pray, Lord, now that as we study that you would give us understanding, that you would open our eyes and cause us to understand. Give us ears that we may hear, so that we may, through faith, obey. And I pray, Lord, that you would make us more like our Savior Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would also help us to see Christ. Remove me as much as you can from the preaching of your words, so that Jesus Christ may be exalted, that he may be enjoyed, that he may be praised, and that he might be honored through obedience to his word. Father, I pray that those that you have, through your sovereign will, brought to be in this place under the hearing of your word, have prepared their hearts, and that you will work in them the ministry of the gospel and the ministry of change in their life to become more like Christ. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. A recent survey I saw in uh, the USA Today, uh, which I remember when the USA Today was just started back in the 80s, and one of the things that really grabbed my attention in this publication was that on every front page, or every section, the front page of each section, there was a little survey down at the bottom. Uh, and as a teenager, that's how long ago it was when it started. Uh, as a teenager, I remember being just, in, you know, intrigued by whatever the graph was. I didn't really care about the subject matter, but it was something that I wanted to, you know, that was a quick capsule of what people were thinking or maybe what, uh, you know, the issues were of the day. 
but recently, uh, in one of those little uh, surveys, uh, it indicated that about 52% of patients did not pursue a second opinion when their doctor advised them that they had cancer. So I guess that means that 48% did seek a second opinion, but more people than not, according to this survey of a thousand people or so, uh, did not pursue it. They just took the doctor's word that had given them the, this diagnosis that they had it. Now, I'm more cynical and more curious than that. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, well, for those 48% who did get a second opinion, did they get a different diagnosis? Uh, and was the treatment any different if they did go to a different one? And how many times did they go to a different doctor until they got the diagnosis that they wanted and, and these types of things? But I guess that surveys in an edition yet to be published. But when that happens, you let me know if you see it. I, I, I don't read it very often. However, while we think in terms of that, how, what would you think of someone who did get a diagnosis of cancer? They believe the doctor, they believe the test results, they had confidence that it was correct. And they thanked the doctor and made an appointment for next year for their annual checkup and continued going on with life. Or perhaps they did go to another doctor and got the same opinion and again, continued on. It's sort of like someone going to the dentist and the dentist goes through and cleans their teeth and finds some areas where, you know, they ask that dubious question, do you floss regularly? And that's so much different than actually brushing your teeth. It takes a little bit more effort. And, well, maybe, maybe not, whatever your answer may be. And they say, well, you know, you got a, 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 an area of concern towards the back of your mouth, that, you know, you, that brushing is just not quite getting it. And so you need to really get back there with some floss and, you know, and make sure you clean that out regularly. Okay, good deal. And you leave the dentist and six months later when you have another checkup, it's, you haven't flossed once. They gave you floss, right? That's, that's their obligation. They give you a toothbrush toothpaste and some floss. But you don't use it. Even though there's been an indication that there's a problem, but it's not what you normally do. It's more effort than what you feel is valuable. And so the next time, have you been floss? Well, well, no, I have to be honest. No, I haven't because you know you're going to have to answer honestly. They see it. I mean, you, you can't get away with just, uh, they've got the x-ray, right? Well, that area that I told you about six months ago is still, it's getting a little bit worse. So you need to really make sure you're watching. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Six months later, or a year later, or two years later, they're finally drilling the cavity out, placing a filling in, and charging you a lot of money. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, that's, you know, no big deal. Well, it is a big deal. Because they told you now that there's another area, and, and you just continue on and on. And you, while you get the same diagnosis, while it might not be as serious as cancer, it's, there's something wrong with your health. And you ignore it. And before long, you have no teeth, except for the ones that they've made out of another man-made substance that you're taking in and out of your mouth every night. 
And while we may not think of the cancer situation quite so lightly, let me ask you a more important question. How many people hear a diagnosis from God's Word on a regular basis? The same diagnosis over and over again. A diagnosis that something is about to happen is not for your good. A diagnosis that is warning you of things that are potentially coming your way that will destroy your life. A diagnosis that you need to set certain habits and, and behaviors in line so that you can avoid not only the destruction that comes from sin, but that you can enjoy the life that comes through obedient faith. We may, be, we may think it ridiculous for someone to get a, a diagnosis of cancer and not do anything about it, but how serious do we take the diagnosis we receive every time we open up God's Word? How many times will we pursue the lesser things of life as well as settle for our own meager attempts of self-righteousness to appease God? Ask yourself honestly right now, why are you here? What do you intend to do differently as a result of coming to Christian Growth Group or sitting in the worship service differently than you did before you came? Do you go into this assembly so lightly as it were that regular dentist checkup that you're just there to go through the motions and get that really good, clean feeling on your teeth that when you rub your tongue against your teeth, it's, wow, that just that's, tastes good, feels good, it's clean. Or do you present yourself before the Word of God and the Holy Spirit who inspired it and honestly say, search my heart. Search it. Show me if there be any uncleanness in my heart. Lead me into the way eternal as a result of confronting your word. Now, I'm not questioning anybody's confidence in the walk that you have with Christ. You may come in here today saying, I have grown so much this week. I'm rejoicing so much in what God has done with me this week. I have become so much more mature last week, even compared to last Sunday. There are so many things that I can say about how God has been working and weeding things out of my life and, and, and nurturing me in, in Christ and my faith. And so I'm just here to rejoice. And, and I'm just here to rejoice. That's it. I envy you. But if that's not you, what is it that you are anticipating as a result of our time in the Word? You say, well, Mark, you don't necessarily open every message out quite so sternly or quite so seriously. Maybe I should. Maybe we all should. But what brings me to do that particularly today is because of the warning that we have presented for us here in Hebrews chapter 5 and 6. 
You see, if we're not careful, we'll become, we'll become more in tune with this world in which we live instead of the word that we regularly hear. That means the channel for all things self-serving, self-dependent, self-indulging, self-promoting, self-satisfying, self... Well, you, you get the picture. Will distract us from the message of self-sacrifice and complete abandonment to Christ. Let me ask you, how many sermons have you heard over the past 12 months? <laughs> what evidence is there that you have denied yourself, picked up your cross, and followed Christ any greater as a result? I'm not questioning that it hasn't. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I hope that you can think back and say, well, I remember Pastor Charlie preached this message here and I remember that particular week I was fulfilled in my faith. Or I remember when Richard was preaching this from Hebrews chapter 2 and that really just my heart was rejoicing when I learned and how I overcame certain things. Or I remember when Pastor Tim gave us that handout of 12 pages and how you know, that was such a help to me and I was able to read through that the rest of the week and the next week after that. Well, I remember that Christian growth lesson that I studied and taught and how I was challenged as a teacher and said, you know, I, I, that, that's for me. I, I better not say anything to anybody else until I start chewing on that myself. But that should cause concern for us. We take so lightly. Pastor Tim last week in the, in the equip hour in his opening prayer and <laughs> I, I just have to be honest. Tim can teach me so much more in what he prays and what I can study on my own in devotional time. So many, so many opportunities. But I remember in, in his opening prayer, just discussing before God how there are countless thousands and millions of people around the world who would love the opportunity and have the freedom to meet in a little room around with other believers and talk about God's word. But yet, it happens so common for us that when we hear something stern, when we hear a warning, when we hear a word of instruction, we're so, we're so quick to just cast it aside and move on with our life. Trust me, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to sit in a pew and to listen while at the same time thinking more about what I'm going to have for lunch or what I'm going to do this afternoon or what I've got to do next week at work or what I've got to do next month. And by the way, what passages am I preaching next month? And uh, uh, let me see if I, you know, he, he's sort of going on a you know, rabbit trail here. Let me just kind of uh, turn over. Uh, well, I've kind of zoned out. I really don't know what he's talking about. But you know what? This is really a good time. I can't wait until we can pray so I can close my eyes and actually get some rest. Yeah, that, that never happens, right? But we take it so lightly. And if we're careful, we'll let the world start influencing our life a lot more than the Word does. So let's consider today a spiritual diagnosis of immaturity. That's strong. Immature. You're childish. You're not grown up. How long have you been a believer? And you still don't understand that? Those are the type of things that we need to be asking ourselves and considering 
In our passage that we've read so far, as I mentioned before in the introduction, I almost blew it there, right? Who who wrote Hebrews? I don't know. Uh, But the author of Hebrews, who may have been Paul, has been going through this list of things that Christ is better than, and he gets to Melchizedek. And he says, there's a lot that we have to say about Melchizedek, but it's hard for us to explain it to you because you're childish. You've become dull of hearing. You can't understand it. Have you ever been in a, in a, in a sermon uh, or reading a book or maybe watching something on television or maybe just in a conversation when somebody started talking about it and you and what? And you became dull of hearing. In other words, you're, you were hearing what they were saying, but it wasn't making a connection. Maybe they were using terms that you weren't familiar with. Maybe they were thinking about ideas that you have never conceived in your life. And you'd like to be a part of the conversation, but you know what? You just can't quite catch on because your hearing is inhibited by your lack of understanding. The writer of Hebrews says, You're dull of hearing, for though, and this is the indication that you're dull of hearing, by the way, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. Now, I won't do this, or at least ask you to physically demonstrate this, but I will ask you this question. How many of you consider yourself a teacher? Thank you, Ron. You should have. You went to school for that. No. Um, When it comes to the spiritual things of God's word, and hopefully you still be able to raise your hand, uh, but but just answer this to yourself. Rhetorical question. Are you a teacher? Could you teach someone else the word of God? Could you take someone who has never been to church, someone who has never heard of the Bible, no one who has ever heard the name of Jesus Christ except as a word of explicative, whatever that is, Obviously, I wouldn't be a very good teacher of the English language. But would you consider yourself a teacher? If not, you don't have an understanding of something. That's fine. If you asked me if I was a teacher of finances, if I could explain the stock market, if I could figure out all the bulls and, and all, you know, the, the markets, all that type of stuff, I would not be a teacher. You know why? Because I've grown dull of hearing. I couldn't do a very good job, so that's your warning. If you want financial advice, don't come to me. Unless you want somewhere to invest it. I'll be happy to, you know, be whatever you want to invest in. However, the writer of Hebrews says, you should be a teacher. Now, the book of Hebrews isn't written to a bunch of priests. The book of Hebrews isn't written to a bunch of pastors. The book of Hebrews isn't written to a bunch of religious leaders. The book of Hebrews isn't written to a bunch of older people. The book of Hebrews is written to a group of potentially, if not already, believing in Christ followers. He says you ought to be teachers. This is not much different than what Jesus Christ said when he ascended into heaven. He gave a great commission. You may recall in Matthew chapter 28. He said to go make disciples. He said baptize them. And what? And teach them all the things that I've commanded you. That's what he said to all of us. If you believe that he has called all of us and has commissioned all of us to go out and reach the world for Christ, then you believe that he's called all of us to be teachers. 
So if within your spirit, the Holy Spirit is convicting you or maybe showing you, may, maybe this is somewhere where you need to listen here a little bit careful. It's important. Perhaps the dullness of hearing needs to be addressed. Now, another symptom, or another indication rather, of being spiritually immature or dull of hearing is what are you eating? He says you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled. Now, a skill is something that you pick up. Something is, a skill is something that you learn. And you're unskilled if you are needing milk and not the meat of the word, the word of righteousness, since he's a child. Now, there's nothing wrong with milk. I like milk. I like milkshakes. I like milk gravy. I like milk chocolate. I even like milk duds. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the simple element, the food element of milk that is simple, something that's so basic that that's what we begin feeding children upon birth. Correct? And while we may continue drinking milk for the rest of our lives, that's not the only thing that you drink or eat or consume for nourishment. If you do, you won't be very healthy. You'll be getting some nutrients that you need, but it won't be what you need to be mature. Similarly, when it comes to God's Word, it is important that we are mature teachers, not just simply drinking the milk, but eating the meat of the Word. The more substantial, meatier things. And an example is found right here. The reason why he brings it up is because while the, the Jew or the Hebrew that the author is originally writing to would have understood angels, they would have understood the priesthood. They would have understood the sacrifices. They would have understood the ministry of Moses. And when they hear about Jesus, understand the relationship of how Jesus Christ is much better than this. But those are the simple basics. Going further or deeper in an understanding of how great Jesus Christ is, you must understand that He is, after the priesthood of Melchizedek, an eternal priesthood. And that requires not just a simple understanding, but that requires the ability to understand deep things. I grew up on a farm, and I realized that while I, my dad never let me drive the tractor very much to plow the field, but I realized the principle of it, that if the plow just simply scraped across the top, that you would get the top surface of the dirt you know, ready for soil, but you couldn't plant anything in it because it was only just a very shallow area. However, if you were getting ready to turn the, the, the field over so that it could be really good soil to plant in, you had to lower that plow deep. I've got a gardener in my backyard. My backyard was piled up by the contractor uh, with very, very red clay dirt. My garden is about that deep on top of the red dirt, but I have put some dirt on top of it that I can actually till. And you know, my little tiller gets all that black dirt, but as soon as it hits that gray clay, nothing. 
But you know what? I turned that black dirt and I planted, I fertilized it, you know, and to a certain extent. But you know how far my roots get? No further than that black dirt because I have not penetrated the clay. The same thing with our hearts and our souls. If we do not cultivate a deeper understanding of God's Word, our fruit will be shallow and limited. Our understanding will not be sufficient and we will not be teachers. And we will be, need to be reminded not just of basic elements, but we need to be concerned the fact of whether or not we're a true believer or not, which we'll get to here in a second. So I ask you again, are you a teacher? Could you explain to someone who has never been to church, could you really explain to someone the cross? Could you explain to someone the working and the divine work of God throughout the course of history? Could you tell them the purpose of what God has placed you here for? Are there questions that, boy, if I ever get into a conversation about church, I hope they don't ask me that. You know, we're so concerned that somebody's going to ask us where Cain got his wife or, you know, where's the ark? And you know, we're so concerned with, you know, things like that that we have a pretty good answer for. But, you know, well, that's, you know, that's for all the, you know, the egghead theologians who, you know, they study this stuff all their, all their life and they know those answers. So let me give you their number and you can call them. No, but are you a teacher? Are you eating solid food? And the way you'll be able to determine that is whether or not you are able to sufficiently discern between right and wrong. That's what the writer here says. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the, their powers of discernment trained. Do you get tripped up on just anything that somebody comes along and says? Who says that they're a Christian? Who stands behind the pulpit? Who says that they're following Jesus Christ? Because there's a lot of trash that you can get a hold of in the bookstore and on television, on the radio, and particularly on the internet that says Christian. But for some reason, there are a lot of people who say they're Christians who don't see that it's, that ain't right. And they fall right in line because they're not mature. They're unskilled in the Word of God. They, th they think that they're devoted to good Christian teaching, but that they don't know enough about good and evil to, to know the difference. And they wonder why their life is in turmoil. They wonder why they're confused. They wonder why they have no peace with God. They, under they don't understand so many things about the Scriptures and what the Gospel is all about. Solid food. But you can't eat solid food until... You've restored your health through just eating the simple things. Like newborn infants, Peter says, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Paul does that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not even ready, for you're still of the flesh. So if there's a diagnosis of spiritual immaturity, is it yours? And that is not a, 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 a statement of judgment. That's a statement of empathy. That is a statement pleading that you do not remain there, as the writer of Hebrews will go on to say. So now that we've looked a little bit at the diagnosis, let's consider the treatment that gets us back on the path of maturity. We follow our reading in chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, 
Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Move on from that. It's not that that's wrong. As a matter of fact, that's essential. You're not going to be saved unless you understand repentance from dead works and faith toward God. You're not going to understand your position before God as being clean if you don't understand the washings that the Old Testament teaches about and Jesus Christ fulfills. You won't understand the ministry of laying on of hands or the resurrection of the dead, which we have a hope of, and eternal judgment that people face without God. You need that for, for salvation. You need that for the basics. But let's move on from that. I'm all for evangelism. I'm all for making it simple for the world to understand and make it very clear. Not eliminating these things from our conversations with those who are lost. But if that's the limit of your understanding of God's Word, then it's not sufficient. And it's demonstrating, perhaps, that you're not even on the right path. Now, this is not just a contemporary problem that people would affiliate with the church and its teachings uh, remain on the surface. Family members who grew up in church, friends who find social fulfillment within the meetings, outcasts that find a welcome environment into the church, 30-somethings who are ready to settle down. These are just a few examples of those who attend church and have an idea of what's going on. After all, just on the news last week, it was reported that people who go to church have less stress, have more satisfaction in their marriage, and are less, uh, what was, less problematic. I can't remember what the word was. So why wouldn't you go to church? It's beneficial. But you can go to church. You can be here this morning. And understand the gospel. You can understand that we need to live by God's word. You can understand that we want to be changed into his image as the Holy Spirit works through the believer. You can understand all that stuff, but yet still be in your sin. Yet be without Christ. That's a warning. Something that we should take seriously. In the first century, and more, and more particularly the original recipients of this letter, they were Jews. They found the message of Christ intriguing in relation to the teaching of the Old Testament. Part of our scripture reading in the worship today. Now, are we of advantage because we're Jewish? Because, well, yes you are, because you've had the oracles of God from the very beginning. God chose you to demonstrate before the rest of the world salvation. Yes, you have an advantage. Well, does that mean if we don't believe that that undermines the message? Absolutely not. It just means that you are much more accountable for what you know. And there are people that attend church regularly that are going to be accountable on a day of judgment for, for God for all the things that they've heard, but they never took action. 
To me, that's more sad than the person who has been ignorant and has, has very limited knowledge of ever hearing the gospel. To the person who hears over and over and over and over, hears about God's word over and over, the sufficiency of Christ, the joy in Christ, life in Christ, all of these things over and over again, and they walk right out the doors just as they came in. With no more honor, no more respect, no more value in Christ than, than the rocks out there in the, in the, in the yard. And to provide confidence over that sort of life, we need to show it through moving on from the basic things. Let's go on to perfection. That's what the writer is saying here. In verse 4, or before we get to verse 4, reminding ourselves of what we've already read in our, our in the service today from Philippians 3, 12 through 16, that we're pressing on. Paul says, I'm not perfect yet, but Paul was maturing. Why was he maturing? Because he was pressing. There was a goal in mind. What was that goal? The high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he was pressing towards. So let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. Now this leads us to one of the more controversial passages that we'll find in the New Testament. However, it provides a warning for us. But what is that warning? Verse 4 says, For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Now you may be familiar with this passage and may have heard that, oh boy, this teaches that we can lose our salvation. Well, let me just share quickly with you three major opinions about what this specific text in verses 4 through 6 is talking about. First of all, it could be referring to the true believer who loses his salvation to never regain it again. So if there is someone who believes that this is losing the salvation, that would also be the person who says, you know, once you've lost it, no second chances. I don't know too many people who believe that. I do know that there's plenty of people in this world who do believe that it teaches you that a true believer can lose their salvation. A second option, a true believer who is warned to keep on motivated by this theoretical argument. While it's impossible for you to lose your salvation, it is so important for me to warn you that it's serious that I'm going to present it as an option even though I'm just simply trying to get you to keep on moving towards Christ. There's a lot of conservative believers who take that position. They believe that those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and shared the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, that the falling away is just a theoretical argument and that it really isn't a possibility, but it is so important that you keep on growing. Let me give you some extreme example. Or there's a third option, at least a major option. And that is this is being addressed to those who were still unregenerate, yet they're professing faith in Christ, 
And this is a warning that they will fall short if they don't truly cling to Christ. Now it helps us, I think, if we go back to chapter 3, verse 14, where the writer says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. So I think the writer of Hebrews has already made it very clear that if you persevere to the end, that's obvious that you have been saved. And if you've been saved, you will persevere to the end. And if that's true, then we can take that first option out, that we're not talking about people who are truly believers losing their salvation. I also think that while those four verbs there that are helping describe the audience, uh, the enlightened, tasted, shared, and tasted again, it's important for us to understand, as John MacArthur points out in his commentary, that no term used in this passage is ever used elsewhere in the New Testament for salvation. Now there may be some connection, but, it's, but these terms are never used in the New Testament for someone who is saved, regenerated, a true believer. And he, his opinion, as he continues on, and none should be taken to refer to in this one. And I think that's very helpful for us to understand that the terms that the writer of Hebrews is using are terms that are never applied to somebody in the New Testament of true believers. So we're not talking about true believers losing their salvation. We're talking about unregenerate people. And I think Wayne Grudem's systematic theology as well as MacArthur's commentary on Hebrews are helpful in discussion if you want to pursue this further. But for time, we'll move on. So once a person has lived out their false profession... This passage teaches us that Christ cannot be crucified again. That would be contempt. For somebody to get to the end of their life as a false professor, for somebody who says, well, I really wasn't a genuine believer even though I understood it, and then get to the end of their life and said, you know what, well, I need Jesus Christ to die for me. That would be impossible. That would be contemptible for Christ to be crucified again. He's been crucified once and for all. So if you are professing to be in Jesus Christ... The warning is you better make sure you are a true professor of Jesus Christ because if you get to the end of your life having not persevered in the faith and you stand before God in judgment, there will be no second chance. As the writer says later on, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, speaking of those who are lost without Christ. So the warning here is for those who are professing but yet haven't quite gone over line in true faith. For those who attend church regularly, they understand the gospel, but they haven't really lived the life of sacrifice, denying themselves, taking up a cross, and following Christ. And the illustration to follow really supports that perspective. In verse 7 and 8 we read, For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. This is an illustration that the the rain falls on all the ground. But I don't know if you noticed that in your yard and perhaps in your garden like mine, the rain produced more than fruit. There's a bunch of clover, a bunch of weeds, a bunch of briars that are very healthy now as a result of that rain. So we understand that the Word of God rains down. 
Isaiah 55, verses 9 through 11. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So my word, uh, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Make one thing clear, folks. When the gospel is being preached, it's accomplishing two things. Number one is proclaiming liberty to those who will believe it and accept it, and it's pronouncing judgment upon those who will reject it. And that is the purpose of God's word, regardless of when it's preached, and you can rest assured that God's word will not return empty. It will accomplish exactly what God determines it to, 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 to fulfill, and it will either be fruit in the believer, or it will be judgment for the unjust. Either way. And so it is very important that you get off the seat of professing about Jesus Christ and get on, on your feet and press on toward living in Jesus Christ. And this is the warning to all who will hear. You may be a believer. You may be a true believer today. But let me make it really clear. Make sure you're a true believer today. Don't rest on whatever profession you made in the past or some card that you signed or some aisle that you walked down. Don't, don't rest on your family's tradition. Don't rest on the fact that you're a member of this church. You better understand the spiritual discernment, spiritual maturity is the confidence that you have that you're a true believer as taught in this passage. You need to understand them some things about Jesus Christ. And you will not understand them unless you are a true believer. And if you're not moving on from the elementary things, that's an indication that you're either not a true believer or that you're immature. Now, which is it? That is something only the Holy Spirit can guide you into understanding. And I pray this is the preaching of the word that he will. But it's that same Holy Spirit that will be the one who convicts you of understanding that there's absolutely nothing you can do to gain standing before a holy, righteous God. And it is only the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross that having repented of your sins, those dead works, and placing your faith in Him and what He has done for you, that will provide life eternal for you. Apart from that, you're still in your sin. You're still under condemnation. Now, the writer of Hebrews... While maybe not being quite so harsh as I have been for the last several minutes. Or maybe he's a little bit harsher. I don't know. He goes on to provide a word of encouragement. And that's what I'd like for you to do as we close. In the final verses of Hebrews chapter 6 that we'll read today, the writer says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. He's saying, you know what? As much as it's important for you to make sure that you're a true believer, there's some things in your life that I can see that demonstrate that you are. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope unto the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience Inherit the promises. If you're here this morning and you say, Mark, you know what, you're preaching, I get the message, I understand the importance of it, and I rejoice in knowing 
that my faith is sure in Jesus Christ. I know that my faith is strong. I know that my faith is dependent upon what Christ has done. I realize that grace is a gift that God has given me, and I rejoice in that. But let me encourage you, as you see those good works that God is working through you, as you're working for Him, keep on. Keep on. Keep on so that you might have a full assurance of hope until the end. Not sluggish. Be imitators of Paul. Be imitators of other believers that you know that are working for Christ. Those who are serving. And I trust that those of you who are younger can look to those who are older and you can find examples of that. Those of us who are older, those of us who have been saved for an extended amount of time, please let us provide an example of those who are following behind us so that we can give them reason to hope in Christ as we do until the end. Let's not be sluggish. It's easy. But let's remember our unwavering faith in the completed and satisfying work of Jesus will see us endure all things until we receive our eternal reward in Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is getting ready to lower the plow. I am so looking forward to the upcoming messages that we have in the book of Hebrews. As wonderful as the Word of God is throughout the messages that have been up to this point, I'm so looking forward to the examples of the faith. I'm so looking forward to the exaltation of Christ. I'm looking so forward to the promises that we have to hold on to, even through tribulation. Are you ready? Are you ready for the plow to go deeper? Are you ready to understand some things that will blow our spiritual minds? Are you ready for some things that will cause you to amaze more and more in Jesus Christ and what God has divinely planned for us? Are you ready for that? Are you ready for it to go deeper? If you're not, please, 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 don't be sluggish. Be diligent. Hope until the end. Grow. Get off just feeding on milk. Get some meat. For God's glory and for our good. Let's pray.